The Over the Bonnet podcast is brought to you by Merrymark Medical, Gimpy Foam and Rubber and Ninecat Earth Moving. My guest today is Toby Wilson, a former SAS Special Forces soldier who was saddened and sickened by the actions of a few members of the unit who have blackened the name of the SAS. Toby is responding to the Brereton Report, where new SAS recruits have allegedly been forced to kill prisoners and unarmed men to get their first kill on the battlefield, amongst other atrocities. Over the Bonnet with Mark Peepers. <laughs> well, well, at least the guests are good. You'll never know what happens with the conversation when it's over the bonnet. <laughs> You're kidding me, aren't you? Toby Wilson, welcome to Over the Bonnet. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. It's a real honour to have you in the studio. You're an ex-SAS soldier, one of the super soldiers as I look at it, and there's some really difficult stuff that the whole regiment is dealing with at the moment. Let's get to the hard stuff straight away. And what do you think, and, and what's your take on this Brereton report? Okay, so um, to sum it up, it's it's something that, 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 that shouldn't have happened um, by a small group of people um, and, and that, you know, it's affecting the whole unit. Um, but it was brought up by uh, people within the unit that saw what was happening and, and, and called attention to it. And like any government organisation, just things take time. And so now we find where we are today. And, and it's, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's shocking. It's, 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 uh, it makes me, it's an emotional rollercoaster, to be honest with you. I, I, that's, that's my workplace. That's, that's the unit I worked with over there. And just because of a small group of people, it's, um, it's tarnished a, a lot of really good uh, work and you know hard work from people that are, are working for Australia's interests and willing to die for Australia. You know, so it's quite serious. You were there. Yes. What happened from your point of view? Uh, from my point of view, uh, I can attack this in many different ways. Um, but just to start off with, off the top of my head, um, over there, being right there. Um, you just like with any organization um, and this organization is a small one and it's full of alpha males but within within that personality uh, group you know you have different different personalities and so some things went astray and and it, and it was noticed and it was called out but from my point of view also uh, with the whole inquiry they're, they're focusing on the main offenders yet I, I know for a, I know for a fact that um, the, the, the psychologists at the unit at the time um, brought up that it, this is not sustainable. So they, they signed, a, the government signed a waiver to allow people to continue being overworked and being used, which we weren't complaining about. We're doing a job that we enjoy doing. But just like anyone else um, and their personality, perhaps, you know, like the analogy I, I, I gave when we were, I was chatting to you the other day about, you know, an angry drunk and a happy drunk, you know, that some people are going to be affected different ways. And I believe some things have gone askew in some people's heads and, uh, yeah, and it was noticed and, and brought to someone's attention. But um, other than that, it's not just Afghanistan. You come back, you, you're not at home. You, you come back from an Afghanistan rotation, which is shorter than your normal army rotation and then they get um, dedicated leave for that as well where they you know get a flight to Europe or, or wherever or, and then they go back to and their deployment and then come home 
Um, but we, we had a shortened one. We didn't get any decompression afterwards. And when we came back, we were over doing promotion courses to continue with our career or and be away from our families and, and you know, home. Or we were on other operations, uh, like when the uh, uh, protecting Australian nationals, like when the coup was on in Fiji. And uh, we spent months and months and months on a ship um, uh, you know, waiting to, to, to go into action and, and save Australian. The police commissioner was an Australian national, so we had to go into Fiji and rescue him, along with some other people. But that didn't end up happening because the chopper crashed and all of that, and so got sent home early. Um, but, you know, so that's the sort of lifestyle you have. Um, and I'm not excusing any behaviour, but I'm just saying the responsibility, in my opinion, doesn't just lie with those that took the action. It was with what, what created those events. But like, again, I, I'll, I'll back that up saying that there's different sorts of people everywhere and some people are nice and some people aren't. But, you know, to be able to then take a certain personality type in, the, in, in that unit and go, well, this is what we want now. You know, you wouldn't have enough people for that capability then. So you need to really, you know, they're not lowering their standards, but they need people that are able to do that job. What went on? What went on? Well, um, you'd have things that were... You know, you'd, you're, you're normal decompression, so, you know, you'd have a few drinks and things like that. Um, and, and that was, you know, and, and you became more, uh, uh, as a group, you became a, a more you became tighter, you know, and you hung out with that group and that's who you, you could talk to each other, you know, about what were things that you'd done and, or, you know, your mate just got shot in the arm or someone just died, you know, and so you're all, you're dealing with that as a group and then it becomes... You know, I can see how it might become an issue to have, you know, to try and break into that group, you know, but that's just the nature of the beast. That's how things work when you're dealing with these situations we're put into. It's uh, war's not pretty funny, that. Mm. But you were saying that, okay, you tighten as a group? Yes. And what was the effect of that? Uh, the effect of tightening as a group? Well, it it allowed us to open up to each other, It allowed, but then it also made for... You know, I suppose, like brothers and sisters, you know, a, a tight family group, you're going to have your quarrels and that. But the, the, the benefit of that is that, you know, when the quarrel's over, you're, you're ready to protect each other's lives again. So it's, a, it's a, an interesting work environment. It's not one that's going to be replicated anywhere else, hey? But some people took it too far. I'm not sure what happened there. I don't know what's going on inside the, the heads of the people that, that perpetrated this. I do know, and I really honestly do feel for the people that were under the command of some of the the people that are you know instant you know that are, that are, yeah yeah what's going on at the moment um you know they 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 were mentors and they were they were people that have so someone going into the wants to go into the SAS you know they've got to dedicate a lot of time and a, an emotion and and everything to to even just train up to get ready to do selection and then when they make it there they've put all this time and effort in and then they're being mentored by uh, not a very nice person. That's that. That's that's disgusting. That is, you know. So, and they're going to have to live for the rest of their lives with some of these things that they've, you know, not been for, forced to do. But that you know, I can see that, that you know why they would have been, you know, done what they've done and gone. Well, this is oh, this is the way it's working over here. Okay, I have my opinions on it and I'll voice them. But it's not really. I have to fit in with this group here. These people are going to protect my life, and I'm supposed to protect theirs. So. Yeah, interesting dilemma. Poor, poor, poor people, huh? Hey? Pushed mm. by peer pressure? 
Oh, I would say so. And also just for imagine putting in over a year's worth of effort to get to somewhere that you really want to get to and in something that is and does stand for so much good. You know, you're you are Australia's choice to go and sort out their their problems and stuff and be an ambassador and be a face for Australia and, and relate all those, you know, the Australian way of life to people out in a third world country somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And you're doing a lot of good for them, you know. Um, well, I'll give you a random, random little example, you know. Um, for the site-sensitive evaluation, so the SSE, uh, after every job, you go around and you search for uh, mobile phones, you know, for the chips in the phones um, and everything like that and take a photo of the, of the person so that the, uh, the intelligence people know who's who in the zoo and can see what's going on. But obviously there's Pakistani and US dollars in their, in their pockets because they're all bad dudes, they're gangsters, they've got all this money on them. And so we'd take that and then we'd... We'd put it all together and give it to the locals that, that had been, you know, either injured or, or even just, you know, harassed by these thugs and, you know, whatever you want to call them, Taliban, whoever, the enemy going through, but just not nice people going through. And we'd give it to them so that they could get uh, taxis, uh, the old Hilux, into the nearest, you know, medical, uh, the, the, the nearest town to get medical aid or whatever. You know, we did. We made a lot of, you know, just, just being, you know, you know, it was a privileged position to be in. And some people are really dragging, dragging my, my unit, my home, my place that I was willing to die for. They're dragging it through the mud, and that's that's not on. Is it warranted? To some degree, um, we're going to have to atone for our sins, so to say. But like, well, yeah, tell but, us about the sins. You know, let's not beat around the bush. Then what what went on? Okay, so some. Some people have taken it upon themselves that they can uh, be judge, jury, and executioner, and. Um, and just and and drop who kill whoever they they feel like and use it also to to bring other people in under them to get their first kill and that's ridiculous it's bad enough taking human life anyway it's something that just happens it's like like a police officer you know doing his job or her job um you know it, it, an escalation of force and you take life it's not the greatest thing it's but you know you you're you're ready to deal with that and you you you, you cope with it because it's part of the job and you do a pretty weird job so but when, yeah, some, when when something's gone that far, you know, there's there's a serious issue, and that's obviously why it was called out by people from in the unit, you know, because yeah. there is that code of silence that <laughs> operates. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But that's part of that tight knit brother sister thing, you know. Yeah. Are you surprised that people have spoken out? No, I'm not. Um, I'm surprised it's probably taken this long. I mean, like I said, that unit was the unit I worked in, and I've seen I've seen some things, but not really. But you know, you always know what's going on when people are being, you know, shut doors and not really talking much about something. You know, something's going on. So yeah, and you kind of piece things together. But you know, some people were being bullied. Even there were some people, you know, being bullied by these not nice people. You know, a small group of people doing their own thing, and if you weren't in with their game or whatever, then you were, you know, against them, you know. So, yeah, some people got bullied. And uh, and I think that's probably where some of the, after the, some of that video footage or whatever came out, that that's the instigation of a lot of stuff, you know. And then people started going, yeah, this isn't right, you know. And that's that's good to see. The bloodletting. Yeah, the, uh, yeah. It really is uh, kind of sad that it, it's been, as you say. And is that a result of the, the, the bullying? Oh, oh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. 
Um, I think that's just all part and parcel of the, you know building a picture of who some of these you know culprits are of uh, who are staining the you know name of people doing good work is that yeah they're just generally they weren't nice people so everything that goes with that I don't know what's going I can't come on comment on what's going on inside their heads to make them do what they were doing but you know I must admit though going over there. Uh, to Afghanistan uh, as much as we did and I did minimal deployments really considering to some of my other peer group or people that you know old, older people that were there longer than I was you know they'd done three or four more rotations over what I did um, but yeah I was there enough to know that you know you know what's going on and it was like a police effort you're going out to the middle of nowhere you're dealing with people you're either arresting or or um, taking care of targets and um and, and, and basically seeing, you know, being immersed in the local population. I mean, for all right, there's another little <laughs> tin hat for you. This one time at band camp, all right, we liberated the city, uh, this city called Gizab. And it was a job where uh, some taxi drivers, some people that had a lot of money, so some people that owned, you know, the Hiluxes, the taxis, and had farms and that, so had people working for them. Um, some uh, Taliban, thugs, you know, just some generally bad dudes came through and put up checkpoints and started making a mess of the city. They put out a call for help, and the Americans didn't want to do anything about it. The Poms didn't want to do anything about it, and so we'd just come back from a job, and they went, oh, it's only going to take three days. You guys go out and take care of this. And uh, and we spent three months out there and, and helped these guys get their city back. And, you know, the and people are coming out and giving, you know, with food. You know, we're in the middle of fighting in, a, in an alleyway, you know, and people are coming out with this goat's milk or something. Hey, you know? It's not poisoned, is it, mate? No, that's all right. <laughs> milk was a bad choice in the heat, 40-degree heat and goat's milk. Yeah, great. I think it had mint in it as well or something. I don't know. But anyway, yeah, like we did a lot of did a lot of good, yeah. And so, yeah, there's some of these people that just, I don't know, had their own agendas or whatever. I'm not sure. But, yeah, they're being called out now and, Karma's, karma's gonna get them, and uh, yeah, but uh, really, I am concerned for the unit, my workplace, you know, and all the good work it's done, and all the people it's helped, and, and, and the view it's gonna get, you know? What do you do? Well, sorry to harbor the point, but this yeah. bloodletting, the, yes. and, and I wanna get it out of the road and get yeah, it yeah, out yeah. in the open, because what actually happened from what you've seen and what you've experienced and what you've heard? Okay, so I've seen just what the what what the reports have been really, and that's that uh, um, random people were were executed, and um, and also some people were made to shoot someone as uh, as to initiate you know to get their first kill, um, which is yeah, well, it's obviously not on, um, and and highly irregular, and um, especially when you're representing Australia and conducting a, a job, a mission for, you know, Australia's interests, then, yeah, I buy only what I've read and I, yeah, the, I've, the, <laughs> every, every contact that I've been a part of, every, every, every ba battle or whatever, every fight that I've been in, however you want to say that, has always been like, you know, I've had, I've had mates die and people shot in the arm next to me, you know, these are, these are bad people and, and, and you know, no, they were legitimate fights, you know. I, I haven't seen half of or any of what they're talking about, but, uh, you know, I was around it. So it's, yeah, that's how small and close-knit that group was that was doing the wrong thing, you know, and it's and look at the effect it's having on, on good people and the work that they do, hey. What effect will it have on the junior soldiers that are, have been made to do it, do you think? 
it'll affect people's decisions to get into the unit and for a unit that's not going to lower its standards that needs a lot of people in it in the unit that's why we were so overworked it's not a good it's not a it's not a good move but um it's also going to affect people that were in and thinking about getting out and now to all you know the typical government army knee-jerk reaction this one will be super big um yeah it's probably going to push people over the edge and they'll leave they'll lose experience they'll lose you know it's just it's this is being handled very badly and it's not good it's 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 disturbing and and upsetting you obviously would have known what was going on what was your reaction Oh, when I found out about the inquiry. Yeah. Oh, even did you know about stuff while you were there? Oh, I I didn't really I didn't really know about stuff while I was there. What I would, what I I just knew the group of people. So now that I see what's happened the, the, with the results of the inquiry, it's like, well, okay, I can. It's no surprise, but it's not. Yeah, it's there's no real. There was no real finger pointing or seeing stuff that would have been, which is another thing that was concerning with the inquiry. Can you imagine how many people, uh, you know, waiting years and years with the, well, there's war crimes happened and we're all thinking, well, we've been in a lot of fights. You know, we know from the past, especially the Vietnam veteran era, you know, how they're sort of treated and and uh, and viewed and so i don't know it's just that was it's, it would have been a bit concerning for a lot of people i suppose but you know just to wonder what they're looking at you know and why are we being questioned we did you know we did such a good job and and we were given awards and uh you know the unit was given an award which is being taken off of it which i find that that's upsetting you know just because of uh you know, one bad football player, they're going to can the whole footy team. That's, that's yeah, I'm not sure about that. It's, it's upsetting. A lot of people died and a lot of people bled and a lot of people put in a lot of hard work for people we don't even, they're not even Australian nationals. They're just a people in a struggle and we were helping them out. So when you're actually in the middle of this struggle, is there fear involved and does that bring you together? Talk us about what happens when you are in deployment. Oh, it's um, it's 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 different. It's interesting because uh, because you're you're that capable and you've trained enough together with each other. You know each other's capabilities. If someone isn't up to scratch, then they don't come out with you. You know, they they get sent off on some other job or do something else. They're not kicked out of the unit, but they they certainly you know every day is a renewable contract, and so <laughs> you're always you're always you know working to your best which is a game which is why this is pretty shocking but um you know with the with the inquiry but um yeah it's a it's a great it's a great place to be you you trust the people next to you and you feel comfort in the fact that you know that you're going to be able to do whatever's required and you also know that anyone around you is going to be able to do it and then there's also the added bonus of uh modern day technology where you really only have to hold out for 20 minutes and then you've got you know air support overhead to help you out which will sort anything out so you know you, you feel pretty confident out there and which again is why you can be so such an ambassador for australia you know with these people because we came across one village and they hadn't seen a white person since the russians were there and there was like little kids drawings with a you know a t72 tank and on some mig or something on it and we're like oh yeah and they were really friendly and happy you know and again handing money over and help them out and you know yeah it's just yeah nice to be able to help help another human being hey you know you talk about the bullying culture, though, mm. in the unit. Mm-hmm. It surprises me because, essentially, you guys are all alpha males. You're not going to make it if you're not an alpha male. 
Mm. How does a bullying culture uh, breed in that sort of environment? Yeah, good question, Mark. That is, and I can, I, in my mind's eye, I can see exactly how it happens. I, let's take, for example, the constant deployments to Afghanistan with our main squadron and the group of people we were hanging out with, so the 20 blokes. Within that group, you're going to get the more dominant people coming through going, okay, well, we, we want this position on this job because it's going to be the best possible chance of having some more excitement or that's where the action is going to be. And you can see power plays happening um, within the, the lower, within the, the people actually on the coalface doing the fighting. And, yeah, and there's, there's movement around that. But there's never, it's not like, it is probably just like a football club, but, you know, you're going to get your, your groups that, you know, that aren't as dominant and just go, well, look, it's not even worth arguing over. We're out here to do a job. So, yeah, you take that spot, you, you know, and you do this. And and so that is probably how it starts to breed that way. But then not every squadron's like that because we get split up and reformed that many times because we're so undermanned or were undermanned at the time, I should say. There are many different groups and, 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 and uh, personas come out you know, depending on, on what's going on. And so, yeah, maybe if the uh, the stars don't align correctly and allow what happened to happen, you know, that's that's how it happened. But otherwise, that's you can't you can't avoid that, you know, with a group of alpha males together. You're still going to be someone fighting to be top dog. There's the alpha male amongst the alpha males. <laughs> yeah, for sure. There's yeah. always going to be the top dog. Well, that's because you've got to have your competition. That's how we stay so good, you know. Everyone's always, you're always competing with each other and, you know, and it's not long-lasted. Someone's always going to outdo you somewhere along the line. So, you know, yeah, but unfortunately there's some people that just went a bit astray in that environment. But otherwise, that environment is needed for that job, though. I believe. Talk about the environment then. Ah, oh, the environment. So, oh well, one of competition. Yeah, constantly. Every, you know, uh, you know, always, always having to do better. Always, always. You know, striving for excellence. Always. You know, and keeping a sense of humour and keeping and that sense of family and looking after each other. But also enjoying your work because it is hard work. And uh, so you know you. You, you have fun while you can, but you know, and it's all, it's a very, it's a family affair, and um, yeah. Work and hard and play hard? Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> What's the thing that you talk about, it's, it's hard work, what's hard about it? Uh, the hardest part of the job would be, uh, well, both physical and mental, you know, so you're, um, you know, the the work that you have to do to manage injuries and um, and to and to maintain fitness for whatever the the work may be, um, but then also mentally, you know, you're a you're away a lot. You're enjoying your job. You're getting you're getting paid to do a job that you enjoy, but you're also then you know you're you're looking after kids of a particular age, you know, a family, a wife, um, or whatever other things in your life it may be, you know, uh, someone with disabilities or something. And there's all these other things that you can't give your full attention to that you would normally do because you've really got to give even more than half of your attention to the work environment. And so that's why uh, a lot of people end up divorced and that's why, uh, you know, a lot of families don't really work out, you know, even though it's amicable, it just wasn't, you know, you just, it is a, it's a hard situation. And so, but someone has to do it. Someone's, someone has to do this job at this particular time for Australia's interests, so. Yeah, it's lucky that we have people that like doing it, I suppose. 
What was your motivation to do it in the first place? Oh, I, I, I'd always read the books as a kid, you know, on the British Special Forces and just stuff around, you know, just a typical kid and, and loving army stuff. I always wanted to be a pilot, but I was terrible at physics at school. And at that time, you needed physics to be a pilot in the Air Force. And so that was a no-go. But I was a little propeller head cadet <laughs> at the time. So I, I'm like, oh, I'll join the army. I like going out bush. And yeah, no, it turned out to be a wise choice. But, you know, straight from school and going up, I did many different jobs. I always wanted to, you know, from the stories, you know, and the whole the boy's own adventure and just actually being the best of something and just always had some sort of natural drive to want to serve and do something you know special I suppose and and then so I tried it but I tried it at the ripe old age of 29 or something hey I should have done it a lot earlier because I actually made it all right you know it's pretty good getting through selection and yeah and then being there I loved it what a great work environment hey so you'd done work in the army beforehand what sort of stuff had you done oh, okay so well uh, after Kapuka I um, got pulled out into the hallway and we got told what jobs that we were going to do depending on what uh, you know score was for you know your your job that you <laughs> might be able to do and so I ended up doing electronic warfare for a little bit out at you know out at Kabbalah and it's like oh yeah this is pretty lame <laughs> not what I joined the army to do but uh, it got me working with some of the battalions up in Townsville and down in Sydney at 3RAR and it's like oh, okay this is all right but this job's not for me so I ended up becoming a recruit instructor at Kapuka just to get out of that trade and that was interesting in itself met some nice people there had an influence on people at, you know you know recruits and that it was an interesting experience um, and then then I became a military policeman um, and but I went away on the ships doing the boat people thing um, for a while which was cool because those Navy people and the frigates work hard we did a Christmas and New Year's with them and uh, yeah they had some nice parties on the back of the decks of the ships was on out in the Indian nation um, which was good but I became a dog handler and then went uh, you know which was a great job that I reckon that was one of the best jobs in the army being a dog handler except for obviously what I did afterwards but uh, yeah um, yeah I was just I'm gonna get too old if I don't try this out and the body's gonna fall apart so I, I did it and went oh, I should have done it earlier yeah whoops <laughs> You talk about as an instructor at yeah. Kabuka, yeah. you've taught, you knew what you were putting the recruits through. Yeah, yeah. Then you went for the SAS and you were again at the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, for sure. What was your thoughts going into it? I was excited. I, I felt prepared. I was felt fit. I felt good. I had a couple of in, I had some tennis elbow. I kept you know kept getting steroid injections for that and having to go and get dodgy extra ones from the the doctor who would do it after hours and just to just to be able to fight through some of the injuries that you know to get through the training just for that. But I felt confident and it was fun and I enjoyed it. But then having said that. You know, everyone I talk to um, at my old workplace, you know, and then people go, what was selection like? And every time you tell it, it seems like it was easier and more fond memories each time you tell the story. But I'm sure, I'm sure it wasn't. I'm sure it was terrible. I've seen that video clip of the SAS Australia or whatever it is where they um, showing people going through the selection and they just look like zombies. <laughs> walking around I was like oh yeah but no I enjoyed it I was I was grateful that I was there each day and not being kicked off I mean they they actually called me in at one point I think the group the group was too too large and someone else some other group had lost too many members so they'd taken me out of one group and were taken me somewhere else and I thought oh no I'm being kicked off the course and for what I haven't done anything wrong and we were just doing some activity and they're like oh no we're just 
we're just moving you to this other group and it's like oh and then the horrible thing is is i thought oh maybe they've come to tell me that my parents have died or something and i'm not being kicked off the course <laughs> but that's how much you want to be there that's how much no i didn't really think that but you know but do you need that sort of drive you do need that sort of drive you've really that is the you know people come out with programs to help people prepare for for selection and do all sorts of other stuff but at the end of the day you just going to want it bad enough and that's that's all there is to it oh and as well as just not get injured and keep going you know there's a bit of luck there involved but you make your own luck what luck did you get while you were doing it what did you go wow i'm glad i <laughs> that happened <laughs> oh well all right there's you know i don't mind smoking a few cigarettes and you can't smoke cigarettes for 21 days on that selection course and i was doing a navigation phase and one of the instructors was smoking a, a roll roll up cigarette and i've gone oh that smells like a good roll up cigarette sir and he goes oh hey finish it off no one ever did that for me <laughs> so that was kind of that was good <laughs> no but there was also other times i had a i rolled my ankle and uh, there was a, an american exchange guy on one of the stands for this navigation part and uh, yeah and he took pity on me and taped it up really good because he was a patrol medic and uh, yeah that was lucky because it was pretty messed up i had to get my boot cut off afterwards because my ankle had swollen that much hey but I've heard, though, that with uh, people sort of like, well, build it up to be too much, the, uh, the, the training, that really you need to break it down. You've just got to get through the next hour. You've oh, just yeah. got to get through the next day. Is that an appropriate way of thinking? Yeah, I, be I believe so. I mean, everyone's different. But, yeah, that is certainly, it's, it makes things more manageable when you, when you don't think about the whole big picture. Like, oh, there's who knows how many more days there are to go. Who, who knows how many more kilometres there are to walk. It's just how about we sing this tune that's annoying me now in my head and, and keep amused with that for a bit. Or how about, you know, we just think it concentrate on, you know, getting up to that next 10 metre bit up there. But, you know... Yeah, you just got to distract yourself, hey, because you know the body, the body has more to give, even when it's you know you know seventy five percent gone, and you can keep you can keep going. The body, it just the mind gives up, doesn't it? Well, that was where I was going to lead to. You're twenty nine. You're going for the SAS. Yeah. And what was stronger, your body or your mind? Oh, well, interesting question. Probably my body. My body was pretty fit at that stage. But, you know, I, my mind was, I was prepared. I was just gathering as much information as possible. Um, but not talking to other people and hearing their people that have attempted it and failed or whatever. I didn't speak to those people. I, I, I just concentrated on the information I had and and really thinking about you know staying fit and injury free and just mentally you know just just staying aware you know being prepared for whatever they're going to throw and it was it wasn't nowhere near as bad as what I thought that's why I should have tried it out a lot earlier to be honest with you <laughs> yeah. how fit do you need to be you need to be you need to be fit you need to be very fit um you're sort of uh yeah, upper body and uh, ability to carry heavy, heavy loads. Uh, so, you know, I don't know. Um, but let, for argument's sake, let's say you've got a 45 or 50 kilogram pack on, you know, they might make you carry an antenna on top of that. But like just for training for it, you know, a lar large weights, uncomfortable, getting chafed, getting skin, you know, ready, you know, uh, um, uh, and your feet, you know, feet are an important part. Soak them in Condi's crystals all the time. Uh, they look <laughs> constantly purple. Um, and just preparing like that, you know, and that, and that was enough to, 
to get through. I remember when I was um, training as a young man, we did some stuff with the army guys up in Townsville. Yeah, yeah. And we did things like fun with logs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> are these the sort of things that you were doing? Are there things that you went, okay, why are we doing this? Oh, for sure. It was it was pretty bizarre and random. But like the it was pretty split into three sections, those first 21 days, to see if you were trainable or whatever it is that they're looking for. Um, that You know, the first section was all PT stuff, you know, so constant push-ups or rope stuff or your log stuff, but just always constant. And then no sleep either, just random get-ups and, and you know, uh, watching videos videos on like a, an army uh you know q store this is how you issue a boot and this is how it's supposed to be laced up and then they'd ask you random questions like what was the guy's name that was issuing the boots how many laces had they laced up in that section and you're like oh yeah <laughs> but you know so there was all sorts of kim memory games kim's games no sleep exercise you know all that sort of stuff and that was probably the first phase your second phase was a bit more navigation stuff and and team team games getting seeing who's a team player and and, and just what people's personalities are like i guess um and then the last phase was really the whole yeah zombie no sleep and and really being pushed and and so when you say that how do these bully type people get through if the selection is so intense and so meticulous how do they get through well i don't know if i can answer that for you know for anyone except for myself which is that i can see selection is something that sees if you're trainable and then you do a you know over a year's worth of courses that you would have you know killed someone for to do in the normal army but there it's like to take sapped all the fun out of it and you're just doing course after course after course which is still good you know appreciate being there but you know it's, it's it wears you out and every day being a renewable contract and just always on your yard but uh after that and you go to a unit um and you start getting exposed to some of the strange thing the work environment because you do you do witness some pretty crazy things and you have to do some interesting things but it cha- can you, know, you talk about those um or what can you talk about well i get just for what i can talk about for argument's sake just that one job and you know i had to fight for my life to get out of that 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 helicopter that broke in half and tried to drown us at the bottom of the ocean you know those things at the time don't have that big of an effect on you but they do but you know it does change the way you view things you know and and every experience you have in that sort of environment will will change will you will reflect on that and, and it'll change the way you either approach things in the future or how you view things overall you know, how lucky you are or you know or just other stuff like that but um I, I think you you become more yourself again after that process of selection and your reinforcement cycle so all your courses you become a bit more of yourself again and so you're going to see your different personalities come out again in the workplace but you know probably on steroids i'm not sure yeah because you're in that work environment and 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 and, and dealing with all those sort of bizarre experiences i remember talking to a drag racer at one stage and i said mate what is the procedure that you go through when you're about to hit the light yeah yeah and you're about to hit the accelerator and head down the track and he said he thinks of nothing oh yeah it just happens yeah what's it like for you when you go into deployment and there's suddenly contact and you have action 
Oh, it it's just straight away. Um, you you're just taking everything in. Um, so you you uh, it's not like time slows down, but you just you're just more you just aware of, of 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 what's over there, what's over there, more situationally aware, and and where you, like again, you know, communication. Where's where's my mates? Who's who's somewhere else? And and just very quickly in your mind working out who can do what what you can do and what other people might be doing right now and it just sort of all works together and that's that's it just happens instinctively that but that's only because you train all the time so you know you're training for that sort of environment so that you know you can be in the middle of all sorts of crazy stuff like having having my having my dogs i used to be a dog handler i had a dog again over there you know and having a dog on there changes things up a bit you know and he'll either try and drag you through a brick wall or something or he's trying to eat chickens over there or something as you're trying to do a job and focus it's a very uh you know it's a dynamic environment isn't it <laughs> an interesting one yeah you train enough to be able to you know deal with all the other extra little things that might come along you talk about renewing that contract every day that must be a lot of pressure it yeah i guess i guess it is i mean you know in a, in a way you're, you're there and you're you've got to they gain that motivation to want to be there and keep working there you know is obviously pretty high but does it get stronger I, I get, yeah, it depends what's happening. <laughs> if you're getting really good jobs and you're having fun at work, it's, uh, you know, what a great place to be. Um, you know, it's it's usually more about the people around you than, than what's sort of happening. So you can even go on something that never even pulls off, you know, you're getting ready to fly somewhere, but you end up, you know, a week away from home and then come back again. But you had a good time anyway. It's just the weird little memories that you have of, you know, again, people in a work environment, you know. What's the best part of the job? Oh, the best part of the job, oh, getting to, if from my point of view, it is certainly getting to play with all of the expensive cool toys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, you get to, you get, you're pretty privileged to be able to play with some of that equipment and then play with it like a lot. So it's really, it's good. What sort of toys can you talk about? What can you talk about? Oh, for sure. You know, just even all the weapons platforms, but even not just weapons platforms, but like, you know, uh, doing, uh, Hapo, so high altitude parachute operations. So you're jumping out from a from a Hercules, you know, out the back door with oxygen on, and and you're either getting a two minute free fall down at the bottom, or you're deploying your canopy straight away and and looking at the world through your own eyes like it's a like it's a topographical map. You know, it's like oh, this is beautiful. It's great. We did a night jump, of training. We were we were testing out this new oxygen system, and we did a night jump near Wagga Wagga at Narandra, and and we deployed straight away again from. Like like 30,000 feet or something and um, yeah looking down and there's this uh, uh, lightning show down on the horizon you know below us and then it's like oh wow <laughs> and then someone gets on the radio and goes we're going the wrong way we need to turn around and everyone's looking at this lightning show down on the horizon beautiful mm. so when you're doing that sort of thing is there a concern that hey okay, you could get injured just in training Oh yeah, for sure. But that's the beauty of the army um, is that you know it doesn't matter how you get injured, you're you're going to get <laughs> you're going to get it, um, some time off and and, he, and you're going to heal and and that's all looked after. So yeah, there's a bit of there's probably some reckless disregard for your body, knowing that it's going to be you know even if something fell off, you know it's the army's going to look after you to some degree. So how well do they look after you? You're now out of the oh. SAS. <laughs> How well are you looked after? 
I look to be honest with you, I'm doing all right now. But look, I I wasn't. I've, I've been in a I've been in a hole, and it's only just taken me a year to come out of it. And I've got a good team around me, like you know, good delegates and DVA. But you've got to do. To be honest with you, I've had to do a lot of work myself, learn a lot of stuff myself, and then just create relationships with the right people, and and things are happening. But that that did not happen when I first got out. So yeah, there's there's definitely a problem with uh, with getting people that are. You you know have done nothing except be in the army or the military or whatever and and then come out and you know they they need to need a bit of guidance they need some hookup the correct hookups with people that are going to produce results there's too much too much uh yeah confusion and clunkiness in everything that, that the way it's run at the moment so the old saying that you go to interesting exotic places and meet people that uh uh, come from various cultures and kill them. And <laughs> then we pull you out of the army or yeah. you get discharged for whatever reason or mm. you discharge due to time. Mm-hmm. Are we doing enough post that? Because it's like we make these killing machines, then we put them on the street. Yeah, no, we're, we're not doing enough. And I can't, I know DVA are working to rectify things and I, I'm not I'm not going to go DVA bashing. Oh, there's some good people in DVA, you know, but it's just like anything else. It's an organisation that it has its faults and it, and it does need some assistance. Um, but yeah, there's... Uh, there's there's many different people that that are entitled to different things, and there's just so the people that really need help are not getting it because there's just too much going on. It's too busy, the volume of people going in, you know, the triage of like, oh well, this person is being looked after the same as someone that's living under a bridge and and need needs some sort of you know accommodation and and uh, money or some some sort of assistance. You know, they're not getting that. Who's yeah, there's some more work needs to be done there. That's kind of sad. You, the elite mm. super soldiers, really at the cutting edge front line, mm. and then you come back and you talk about people living under a bridge. Yeah, it is sad. Hey, but I can see how it can happen. It's so easy to happen. You've got these people that that are used to achieving things and not giving up, and so they'll they'll will just keep going until they can't. And and I'm not saying that these everyone's different again. And you know, some people will take a bit longer to come around to getting assistance that they require, or or some people aren't interested in their entitlements. But all of these people do need to have a conversation and just sort of uh, you know it's not that hard and you can get what you're entitled to or or it doesn't have to be this way there is some you know there's there's some guidance these are these are some of the options available to you but there's that's not happening no one's reaching out to these people not that i'm aware of anyway you got yourself um out of the sas and you say you went into a a big hole Mm. what got you into the hole (laughs) and what got you out of it well interestingly i got myself (laughs) into the hole um i got out and was like you know great i'm out i'm around my son he's four years old now this is awesome you know i've got a week on week off and doing stuff and and i need work okay so i got a uh i was doing some tower climbing work you know for um vodafone and telstra and and having fun climbing up earning good money but the old body didn't really hold up went to uni and uh, and that's where things really started to come off the rails because uh, old Oz study um, wasn't wasn't consistent and trying to you know being a mature age student and trying to run a life as well as get through a, a bachelor as quickly as possible you know doesn't leave 
much time to do anything else. And yeah, when money, when the $500 a fortnight wasn't even coming in every fortnight, I just fell behind with everything, got myself into a big hole. And then what I was studying at uni, um, doing a lot of self-reflection on things. And, uh, you know, it was interesting. I did my psychology minor and I was doing counselling, but I changed that because there's no way I could be a counsellor. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd probably tell too many people exactly how it is and that's not what you're supposed to do. But um, yeah, the, the self-reflection really put me in a, in a, in a big hole. And, and it was only through the same thing that got me through selection is what got me out of that hole. You know, taking a step at a time and f- staying focused and just, you know, a lot of positive self-talk. When you went from selection mm. to doing it for real, yeah, how did that affect you and what did you experience? Oh, I, I, yeah, I was wondering how I would go with that also, but it, it was surprisingly easy because you, you are, you're, you're in such a bizarre environment, but it feels comfortable because of the people and the, uh, you know, assistance that you have or the technology that you have around you, feeling good. But um, yeah, it was, it was surprisingly just, just like training, really. You know, you're doing your thing. There's, you know, and and if there's someone, especially in a, especially in a fire, especially in a, when someone's shooting at you. I mean, it's it's kind of surreal in a sense, you know. There's some cartoony spaghetti western sound ricochets going around your feet, and you're like, oh, okay, you know, at least they're missing us. <laughs> and uh, and then when you come across people, then you know, it's uh, it's either them or you, and that's just all actually part of a normal. It seems, it seems it's just part of what happens, you know. And and it's more the it's more what you see, like the the, the destruction left behind of what some of these people have done to what people can do to each other, and you see the results of that, and that that's what sticks in my mind. Things like that, you know, or you know, and and yeah, and not so not so much in the my mates that have died for the cause, you know, the, my mates that have died for the country, for that unit, and for their mates. But I, that's okay. They they you know I we we were all willing to die for that for that job. So it just sucks for the. It's not it's not that it's not that good for the family you know and the people left behind but for we love doing our job and that was that was great but um how did it affect you at the time though when you do lose a very good friend because as you say you're very close very tight yeah. and it's a small unit you lose someone it becomes yeah, it, it it's a bit rushed to be honest with you um when i think about it but at the time there's not much else you can do about it and you and in typical army in typical army fashion just like an army funeral you know you you, you have your sadness and your sorrow and whatnot but then they play their the happy tune as you as the as, as everything's wrapping up you know and that's kind of like all right well we've done we've had our memorial for this person and let's move on and that's kind of like what it is on a rush scale for okay i just lost a mate and um you know sucks for the family and 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 it it sucks for the dude but um you know yeah did did love doing it and at least he went that way and not some other way you know and that's how we viewed it but and then and then it was done and then you kept moving on with work you know, and you'd have, you remember the dates, you know, you have your little memorials. It's not like an Anzac Day, but, you know, when you get together, you have your own little memorial type thing usually. But, um, yeah, otherwise it's not like a, a big effect because uh, you need to maintain operational focus, you know, and, 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 and keep the jobs rolling on. What do you think about Anzac Day? How does it affect you and how do you treat it? Oh, I love Anzac Day. I think it's great, <laughs> obviously. Um, but... 
I, I, when I was younger, when I first joined the army, I, I'd pick a, a particular thing each Anzac Day to reflect on, you know, whether it be a certain conflict or a certain era, you know, and I'd read into things and read stories, and it's just about, you know, it's just about keeping that alive, I suppose. But, you know, most of the Anzac Days that I've had, I even spent an Anzac Day out in Afghanistan when we were liberating that, liberating that city of Giza. That was interesting. How was that? Um, what happened? Uh, we... Um, we had this uh, Navy SEAL exchange guy with us and, and they were bringing in two uh, Chinook helicopters um, with some generators and other things for locals. And, uh, and they brought in a case of rum. It was Captain Morgan rum, <laughs> yes, spiced rum. Um, and they brought it in for us for the Anzac Day. But one helicopter landed and was unloading water and the generators and whatever else. And the other one hovered there and just dropped the crate out of the back. And so obviously the uh, one with the rum in was the one that got dropped out there and it's like oh and this navy seal guy was he was going off to the pilot on the radio and they did actually bring out they brought out a black hawk came out with more more rum for us and we did we got up real early and we shared around a bit of a took a sip out of the bottle and had a service and and uh yeah and then the, before even before the sun came up then yeah we went out and started working so that was a really special interesting anzac day hey Good to get together with your mates now these days. Do you still do that? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I do. It's very important. You know, I've got a little tribe around me and I think that's very important, you know. But again, just like what we're seeing at work with uh, different sorts of personalities and different type of people, you know, everyone's different, you know, and I just... I've I've got what I've got going on, and I'll I'll share the love with that with the with like-minded people, you know. With um, going into the SAS later, do you find that uh, you had a bit more experience to bring to what you were doing and dealing with younger guys? Oh, for sure. That's actually that's a pretty normal age for people to be going in. You know, there are younger people. You know, there are different age groups that go in, but that's a sort of an average age. You know, and uh, and then you're losing your rank again, and everyone's starting off again, and. Um, um, yeah, that's a, really that's another sep- that's probably another thing that they're bringing up in this inquiry. You know, with well, you know they were so insular and and but you know that you are because it's made that way, it's made that way. You're doing a completely different job and 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 uh, yeah, you are everything from again losing your rank again and 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 going up through the ranks again from scratch. You know, in a different in a different job. And Why do so, you lose your rank? What's the story there? It was interesting. I don't know. Interesting question. Um, I don't know why they do that. It does bring everyone back down again. It would be awkward to have, I suppose, a sergeant or a corporal and then a, a, a trooper or a lance corporal working together and trying to, you know, everyone's the, everyone's the same, you know, and, and they're starting again. But they did talk about having shadow ranks at some point, I think, where, you know, when you dealt with the normal army, you know, you, you kept whatever career progression rank that you were at so you could deal with people dealing with people so you could uh you know go to a queue store and request something and not be told to bugger off because it's Um, essentially throwing away experience yeah well you're throwing away the rank i can see what they're doing there but no the experience brought in by be by being that age and and by having a lot of people that age group is is awesome you know everyone and not only just from the army there were many people that had you know didn't join the army straight from school and they were welders or they were this or that and and you'd be surprised the amount of skill sets that came up in bizarre situations that were very handy you know and it's like oh good on you well done (laughs) so you got some people that just went right i'm going to do this and went straight into it yeah well there was uh on my um 
selection or my reinforcement cycle there was i think there was i don't know whether he was the youngest guy but yeah he was he was like 20 years old or something he was a tank driver and he didn't even have his driver's license but he was a tank driver and they gave him a diesel they gave him a diesel high lux to do his to do his driving test and he kept failing because because it was a man it was a manual and he kept stalling the vehicle it was diesel you only got to take your foot off a clutch and those things roll forwards <laughs> Uh, but God bless him. He was a yeah. He was a good bloke. Yeah. Should have given him a tank. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I let him behind a tank. I saw, I saw his driving. <laughs> What's the difference between a soldier and an SAS soldier? Oh, the amount of uh, hours, the amount of training, um, the amount of money spent on them, um, and the motivation, I guess. But that's not that's not entirely true. You know, that's why people end up there. And there's probably some people that should be there that don't even give it a go. That, you know have the right qualities that you know and just through self-doubt never never attempted or never try out or for family reasons you know again that's a lot that's a big one a lot of people pull themselves off selection because they just miss their family or realize that this is going to be such a big you know i've got to dedicate myself to this i'm not ready for that and that's yeah that's a big killer what's the biggest thing that uh, does knock people out what makes them fail Oh, I would say what their self-talk, I would say. Oh, they were either not fit enough, like they really just cannot keep up and they'll drop or they get injured or they say they're injured because they just can't. Or, or mentally, they just mentally give up their, what they're saying to themselves in their head is is not conducive to moving forward and getting stuff done, you know. So they really just, yeah, shooting themselves in the foot. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Um, <laughs> When you are actually doing that and you're going through a fair bit and you're you're obviously hurting, everyone's hurting, yeah, and you yeah. see someone that is sort of lying down figuratively, yeah. how does that affect you and what do you think of that when you're looking at them? Are you saying, hey, just go? Oh, when I came across that on my selection, I felt really good <laughs> because I went, well, that's, an, I, you know, out of the 120 people or 100 people that they've got on the start of that selection, there's really statistically only going to be at least 20 whatever approximately 20 left and so each time you see someone you're hurtling over the the weak and dead or you see someone on the being kicked off or whatever you're like okay yeah that's another one down and i'm still here so <laughs> it sounds a bit cruel doesn't it but you know that's that's just that's how it is you know you go and if you can't if you can't make it then that's too bad for you because you know it's not for everybody <laughs> and I'm still here so that's good <laughs> describe the elation as I imagine it would have been when you've oh. you hit the, you hit the final day and mm. they say you're in yeah that's a that's pretty special oh, I've got to be honest with you it's almost unbelievable you know when they do tell you that it's over one you're not quite you don't believe them you're like oh yeah did right, you know I, did you expect did you have a timeline no I can't we did we we kind of knew that it should be roughly 21 days and so you kind of keep a track on how things are going and you kind of have an idea of what phases there might be even though they do change things around you've all everyone's talking to each other too about it so you go okay I think this could be the day or if not tomorrow you know and so when they did go oh okay yep on the trucks and it's like well, it could be a trick, but, you know, yep, this could be it. <laughs> We're feeling positive about this. And then, yeah, it was. It was over. We got taken back, and there were all these hot pies and sausage rolls and, can, you know, cans of Coke and everything everywhere. It's, oh, help yourselves. And, yeah, all right, good on you. You made it. <laughs> and that was it. And then we had to we had to clean up and give a few 
phone numbers and email addresses or something that we got told at the start of the 21 days and and then they took that down and and then we got on a coach and and uh and went back to the the base ready to fly back to our units and we'd lost on an average of 10 kilograms each you know we looked like changi death march victims it was wrong and tick tick bites everywhere and and that fix them all tape looked like mummies with the tape all over us just to stop the chafing and keep bits of your body on you know and uh yeah and that night it sunk in you know after we got told they we got put when we got back to the base at Swanbourne off the coach from the selection um you know there was I don't know there was under 20 of us and um and they called a couple of people away and then we thought that you know they were calling people away to go yeah you made it or you didn't and then there was a big wait and we we're like oh well hang on are we being turfed or maybe we didn't make it and then someone just came around the corner and went yep yep you're in and you're going to get some orders for what's happening tomorrow fuck off <laughs> I'll see you later. Sorry, and um, and and we did, and we got someone. Someone was from Perth, and so we went. We got a taxi, went into town, and and got a heap of food, pizza, chicken, cheese, uh, everything you'd been fantasizing about on selection, mint slices, you know, banana smoothies, everything, and went back. And yeah, we go, uh, we we ate, and our stomachs bloated too quickly, and then we passed out. <laughs> that was it. Yeah, it was, but it was very special, very special moment. And then it must have been some one of the poor fellas he'd got all the way through selection then he got told that no we you haven't been selected you know and he got to stay with us the night and it was like oh yeah felt a bit bad for him and he's going oh i'm gonna i'm gonna go do something in the olympics or i'm gonna do some i don't know he was like you know i'm focused on this now and i'll do that and i was like yeah that's a good idea good on you you know so yeah staying quite upbeat about it but yeah that must have been horrible for that person to get through all that way although hats off to anyone for even attempting that you know i i helped out on a selection actually i was one of those blokes that was on the navigation stands and um out, out on a beachy area in lancelin and you know the, the people would come through and i uh, check their you know their next nav thing and whatnot and i'm like oh i felt that sorry for them i give them a chocolate bar or a piece of fruit and i go there you go mate you're doing good you're doing all right you know but good on them for having a crack hey you know make it or not that's a big thing to even prepare for let alone attempt you mentioned a little while ago that sas australia yeah how realistic is it is it even close to what they put the soldiers through no no that's well i don't know that's just that's a gimmicky thing really isn't it i have only seen a couple of the youtube clips i haven't seen any of it but i i saw like some of the things that they were getting them to do yeah that's just like you know on selection, you know, when you when they're just trying to keep you awake, you'll have a major uh, uh, event and a minor event, and you know the major one will be all about getting in to see who's cracking under pressure, being in charge, or who's being jack, or who's not helping out, or who's really doing whatever. And the minor task will be just what randomly whatever, just to mess you around and keep you up. Dig a dig a dig dig in with a spoon, you know, bury this canoe with a spoon, <laughs> or some just have a random. Stuff make a you know i've got these goats here you've got to with all the sticks on the ground you've got to make a pen no it's not right i want a triangular one they'll just keep messing you around with all sorts of things but so what they're doing on there you know i suppose is quite conceivable that you know but it's not that's yeah it's just a gimmicky thing it's got nothing to do with actual you know the selection when you were on selection what was the thing that really stood out to you where you questioned what is this for (laughs) 
No, I never, because I knew why I was there and I knew what I wanted. But yeah, it was, and, and that made it kind of funny also, you know, because they'd, they'd have a bit of fun with it. And it's like, uh, yeah, on the next hill, the next hill, or oh, just around the corner. Oh, no, this is wrong. No, no, no. Oh, no, my wife's calling. We need to go back, you know, and keep going this way. And it's all funny stuff like that. So you could have some, it was enjoyable, but no, I don't think it was really. But I do remember it with, <laughs> I got fond memories of it, yes. With the Brereton report with what's happened, do you yeah. think there'll be changes now to the selection process? Oh, well, who knows? Yeah, probably. I think they'll want to be seen to be doing the right thing because it is. It's shocking and disgusting what's happened there. But, you know, so they're really going to have to work hard to fix that image. But I don't know to what extent they're going to go. Um, and if they do, whether they change selection or not, I'm, I'm neither here nor there with that. It's the type of person that you're going to get in. And they probably were going to have to do something like that anyway. You Because know? you're always going to have to have an alpha male. Yeah, for sure. You know, in, in environments where you need someone that's trainable to do something that's dangerous and, and, and just, you know, a bit different or, you know, uh, uh, you know your sensory overload is, is going into hyperdrive or something, you're going to need, you know, a certain person to be able to do some of those jobs to be able to help and save or, or do whatever's in Australia's interest, you know, so yeah. You love the SAS and it comes through when you're talking about it that... Yeah. Um, what do you see the effect on the unit as a whole because of what's gone on and the investigation? Yeah, I, uh, I see that they get, they're, they're going to have to work hard, un, un, unjustifiably so, because it's not their fault. Um, that, that, you know, people there, that's just people. People have done, there's a certain type of personality has done this, brought this on the unit, and, um, and yeah, and they're, they're now going to have to do a lot of work and mess a lot of people around and and uh, a lot of changes and a lot of just more. And a job that's already busy and you don't want to be messed around, there's probably going to be more briefs and, and uh, you know, more more training, you know, or sitting in front of a light pro presentation type thing going on, as well as just uh, keeping, a, keeping their nose clean. I mean, it's not that we didn't do that before, but... Uh, at least you could have some fun and relax and go, oh, we've got a moment off, let's let off some steam. That's that's going to change in a big way. I don't believe that they're going to be able to do anything because if something comes up, oh, they... There were there were skimpies handing out beer at the boozer, you know, or something like that, and then and then it's just that'll be too much. So I think it'll be a complete lockdown on any any sort of enjoyment that can't be good no it won't be good and no it won't so i don't know i don't know how long that will last i i can't i honestly don't know but i do know the army well and i know how they react to things so i know it's not going to be fun working there and good luck to the people that are working there at the moment because you know it'll be extra extra hard they're going to have to put on a you know, even just for the army head shed, you know, the, the higher up in the army, the Canberra army, you know, they're going to have to put on a show for them to go, yeah, look, we're being good and, and presentable. There are some fairly big names that have been named in this inquiry. Mm, yeah. Is it warranted? Is it justified? Will there be ramifications for some of these people? Oh, honestly, we don't have to name names, but you can no, if you want. No, okay. No, well, I've, I do have something to say about that, I think... Um, 
from from I've obviously been keeping a keen eye on what's been going on the whole time mm. up to this point, and and I see uh, some of the articles I've been reading. You know, some of the people that it's warranted that they you know they're going to get looked into, and and something should be you know, something is going to be done about it. Um, but uh, I'm not even sure how that's going to go because you know 10 7 to 10 years to look into a criminal investigation of someone that's done something wrong and i think that last example was a, a bosnian war crime and it took a long time and and then reading some of what they're talking about in some of the articles about even just by that time then the, you know the evidence in a court is might not even might not even hold up you know so i know what i think and feel and what should happen well there's videos these days so there's there's not a lot that you can hide for the video that's been found oh this is true yes but there's got to be some context to it as well um and you're right so uh video evidence but then there'll be did what happened before that what was did he have a you know i'm not sure Thank goodness I haven't been in a court and in front of a judge uh, for war crimes or anything like that. But it's it, you know, what what is the from what I've been reading, they they will push for what they're going for. But will they get it? I don't know. Ben Robert Smith is going to sell his VC. I saw that this morning. Yes. And what do you think about that? Should it be funded? Should he be foregoing that VC just to? Uh, defend himself against the allegations? Oh, I'm, I'm not sure what to say about that. One, why? Why in the face of all the evidence and everything going on are you really going to sit there and continue to go down the path that you're going? But, and again, at the end of the day, he's been awarded that, that medal and um, I guess he can do what he wants with it. But then even then, you know, there's people that do work and then, like every other organisation, you know, it's usually political, or there's, you know, there's some reasons behind why they push certain people into getting some a medal or push someone into doing a certain position. You know, everyone there on the day doing their job is, you know, des- you know, deserves within ourselves, within our own unit, recognition of what we did. And Absolutely, we do, and that's know, the yeah. thing from what I've read, yeah. what I've seen. You all mm. deserve VCs. I'm sorry, but you yeah. know, like. To single someone out yeah, when you're all... It's a bit, yeah, so, you know, hey, neither here nor there with that. He can do what he wants, but, you know, we'll see what happens with that. Are the allegations against him justified? Uh, well, from what, people are, from what people are saying against him, I can't comment on that. That's... That's between what what they saw and or what they had what what they what they had to do under whatever happened there. But I mean, I just know from knowing the person himself. Um, <laughs> I don't know whether you want to cut this bit out or not, but I'm going to say it anyway. We were overseas, all right, in Afghanistan, and um, and we were having one of our, uh, our drinks after a job. So uh, a bit of an all-nighter, a bit of a decompress, and um, and you know people get a bit out of out of order. And, and he came out and he and he told me that I he reckons that I called his wife a dog, <laughs> and and then and then we got into a fight. And he's a big dude. He's bigger than me. Anyway, we got into a fight. And, and you're a pretty big dude at the <laughs> at the best of times as well. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> but you know, I was, I, I was. It was like, what's going on? I was more confused as to what. I'm like, oh. 
I'm a dog handler. I don't think using dog as an insult is really quite right. So you know, this is a sort of, this is the sort of personality that we're dealing with here. And so, you know, karma. Is this what you're calling about fights within families? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. It must make you tighter though with other parts of your regiment, with other people, because of what's happened, that you band together and tighten up even more. Oh yeah, for sure. You certainly that's that's a normal family thing, isn't it? You know, and you protect your own, but at what you know, what price and what cost? You, there is a line to be drawn there, and as you can see, it's been drawn here with people that spoke out against what happened. The medic that uh, broke mm. the code of silence. Yes. What's your thought about the fact that he did speak out, and other people have spoken out since to the psychologist? Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure I can comment on that ex- because. Um, Every time we went away with support staff, so someone that's not an operator, but that that uh, they're usually medics um, or or EW, you know, some sort of signaler, or they might be engineers out with us, you know, doing some uh, either dog work for detection, or they might have some uh, mine detectors or something. So you you usually have you when you go out on jobs, you might have some of those people. And I've got to be honest with you, everyone, even even. Even old, I don't know if I should mention his name or not, but even old, even old matey engineer who would, you know, chain smoke cigarettes, he was a champion, he was a great bloke, you know, and he was a, he knew his job, knew his work, and, and we got along well. But the same, same with the medics, love them, you know, they do a, they do a really good job, you know, and they know their stuff, and they, they know their work, and, and I've never had any dramas with support staff, but I can see, I know the report, I know what you're talking about, I've, I've, I've read those things myself myself and I I just view it from the point of view of like okay so maybe you've seen something you're not happy with but also I I I treat it with caution because I know my experiences and the people that I've hung out with and I never had any issues with support staff or or anyone else really they're all great people to work with hey as you say it's all uh, context yes true yes could a lot of this be held out of context or is it some stuff that you go shouldn't happen uh, both yeah some some stuff you uh you know you probably need a bit of context around it war is ugly and uh, especially a counterinsurgency where you know there's not an enemy in your uniform it's it's you know the local nationals are you know people shooting at you so you've got counterinsurgents and yeah, you've got yeah. people that suddenly they grab a gun and they're suddenly the enemy then you've got to treat them as one of the villagers how do you deal with that yeah that's yeah well we very carefully you know that's that's that whole presenting the australian face being the ambassador to australia you know it's almost a case of well you know they've got to start shooting at me before i start dropping people you know but or or they've got to start shooting at me before i can really get a handle on what's happening here but it didn't really happen like that so but they, they can see how it's a it's a confusing and chaotic environment you know and so one that you have to really you know go in with a with your head on a swivel you know and be really situationally aware but to the point of you know you're not you're not just going to go in and and jump on the spider in the corner of the bathroom because it might be dangerous eh? you know you've got to you've really got to take your time with what's going on and and that's why we do those that's why that's why they select those sort of people to do those jobs because they're going to do the right thing in those situations you know and, and not jump the gun and just you know 
um, yeah, do whatever is required to, for the safety of, of themselves and their mates, but, you know, actually think about the people in that environment right in front of them, you know, in that situation. How are you applying what you've learnt now to civilian life? Oh, <laughs> probably pretty poorly a while ago, but I'm, I'm getting there with that. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. It really does make you sit back and wonder why a lot of people do what they do and why they worry about what they worry about. But, you know, just having that, just thinking about some people in third world countries and how they live their whole life, you know. Um, and then and then coming back here and seeing a lot of people whinge and whine about stuff where you're like, well, you've got a pretty good hair, you know. Are you glad you got operational? Would it have been a sad thing if you'd joined the SAS and never actually got into conflict? Oh, for sure, in my opinion, yeah. I would be very disappointing because, you know, that's where most of the best experiences are, you know. You're really getting out there and, and applying your skill, you know, and, and getting out there and, and doing something and being getting amongst it and, and, and you know, it's not really I guess you're not really making a difference but you but at the time you are to those people you're making a difference at the time but in the big picture probably not but some we're being sent there by the government it's not like we're going there on holiday when you're actually operational yeah did you find especially early on did you find your training kicking in and feel yourself cradled by what you'd learned and then all of a sudden it's like that's why they did that Oh, no, I don't think so. Not not thinking about it now off the top of my head. But, um, yeah, the Army's like that. They'll do many things to, uh, you know, make you, make you act a certain way or react a certain way or, you know, prepare you for a certain environment. So, yeah, no doubt. But usually it was just actually being with a, a really nice group of people and, uh, and, and trusting them and, and them trusting you that got you through pretty much anything. That trust must be immense. Mm, yeah, for sure, yeah, yeah. How did it evolve when you actually got operational with these guys? Oh, just through, uh, you know, random events, you know, being able to run down a creek line with one other bloke and lose radio contact trying to chase an engineer's dog who lost his dog. <laughs> Oh, poor fella. He he sent his dog out to uh, clear a bridge and we were in uh, Bushmaster armoured vehicles and waiting for the dog to do his job. And there were some kids playing in the river and he jumped down into the river and played with the kids and then did the did the Zohan sort of swimming thing down the river. It was quite fast flowing. And, and me and my mate are like, oh, we better go get this dog. The engineer's not going after it. And we did. We had to run. We ran for kilometres after this thing. And in the end, my mate spoke a bit of uh, Pashtu and uh, managed to get this guy to come over and, and relate that we uh, relay that we wanted a dog you know where's a we're looking for a black dog and uh, and he came back but with three dogs <laughs> like so he must have thought we wanted to buy a dog he's weird people <laughs> want to buy a dog or something but then we saw some kid with the dog and we're like hey, that's a dog we need that yeah and uh, we, we you know so random little just events like that you know now you know that was a pretty dodge situation that my mate and I put ourselves in there was a high ground to our right and there was people around the corner it was like yeah we're pretty exposed here but you know I had to get the dog back and and so those are the things just little events like that and you know build always build on relationships and and how you view someone else and and what you're going to be you know yeah, how they react and, and how, you know, yeah, it's good. You're a dog handler over there. Yeah, yeah. What was your relationship with your dog? <laughs> it was good. My dog my dog was awesome. He's a Belgian Shepherd, a Malinois, and, um, yeah, he was, he, was a, he was a champion. Um, we, uh, and even when I didn't, I didn't take him out on all jobs. We, he wasn't required all the time. It's just another tool in the toolbox to use. But because he was such a, a cool little fellow, we, 
I was always taking them out anyway because people just wanted them out there. You know, we've, sometimes you'd be out for days and you're out in the Badlands and you're, you're holed up in this, like, you know, uh, uh, mud brick uh, compound, like some sort of French Foreign Legion fort style thing, and you're sleeping there and the sun's baking you and you're taking it in turns to do picking on the gun and, and watch out for people coming near you. And so I, I go do that and I've, you know, my dog's tied up out in the compound, baking in the sun, not sleeping, getting real angry. and and he's wagged his tail and, and, and one of our sergeants has gone over to, to pat, pat my dog and he's got and tried to bite him. He was, he was not a happy camper, hey? <laughs> oh, poor fella. But, you know, and there's other times where uh, he did some really good work. We sent him to do, we clear, he cleared this um, three-story building that had a uh, window door type things that came right down to the floor and I set him up one building and he jumped across to the other and I could see him every once in a while on the tail and I went oh good you know and you'd certainly know if he he was onto something so you know hear him bark or someone yell or some gunfire and I was like oh, so it must be all clear up there I'll call him back down we're about to head off I called him Bree called him he just looked down at his third, third floor story window and jumped straight out to heel next to me and he's got they've got this uh it's not body armor but it's like a it's a harness on them and and you can attach things like cameras or whatever to the back and stuff so it's a solid sort of harness yeah and it's hit the ground and it's flying everywhere and you're just shaking it off going oh, what do you want dad <laughs> you know he was awesome yeah some interesting times although even yeah like you know t- taking him through some some sort of small alleyway area and there's you know and then and you're, and you're concentrating on what's going on and you look down and these got another chicken in his mouth you know and you're like oh sorry mate you know where'd you get that chicken from uh, but yeah he's all right in deployments what's the one thing that you've done over there that really stands out yeah oh, there's 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 many things to pick from there i don't know i mean there's pick the, a couple well there's the battle you know the battle of tizak i mean we got battle honors for that you know which they're talking about taking off or they are taking off the unit or something like that but you know that was a that was a big day but i i loved I love being in, in uh, you know, Gizab and, and seeing the effects of actually, you know, giving someone back their their small country town city type place. That was that was really satisfying and nice to see, you know, how appreciative people were of just having a helping hand because they, they really were, yeah, struggling poor fellas, hey. So, yeah, that that's really nice. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There's, there's, there's many. Even, even just the old Timor going to Timor holiday stories, you know, and just, and just coming across random, random relationships and different people, and just talking to them and seeing how they live. There was one another example, you know, just random small things. We were in another village somewhere, and uh, we were stuck there for a couple of days. And I was talking to this fellow. We only had one interpreter between, you know, the twenty of us, and so we didn't have an interpreter. And you're just using big Mickey Mouse hands, and he started playing this Iranian rap and where he's bringing us out tea and stuff and you're just just engaging with local locals and just sort of yeah being being a person hey it's in and they're the things that I remember and they're pretty cool you know yeah just meeting other people that were you know unfortunately living the life that they were over there and and you know and just yeah it made you feel like you could do something at least for them you know while you were there you say that the whole unit may lose some decorations which is really kind of sad because mm. it's dropped the uh the, the prestige in a, in a way was there ever a situation where you thought this could be it oh <laughs> for you yeah 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 a few times um i suppose the biggest one would have been the, 
the helicopter crash where where it hit the side of the ship doing i don't know 200 plus kilometers per hour so the whole tail section broke off and and then we just spun thank goodness missed every part of the ship and just and just dumped into the ocean i had to yeah i had to do a lot of a lot of quick thinking there because i needed to breathe but you know i was i was stuck in that black darkness under the water in the helicopter as it was going down and and i and it was only just through real sort of luck and and my movements of trying to go for my emergency breathing apparatus and things like that 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 i wasn't stuck anymore and got spat out of the the helicopter and made my way to the surface that was a that was a bit of a close one but i've had i had an rpg fired um at us but it went it went past my head <laughs> like it was pretty close but it reminded me of like a, a gridiron football just sort of spinning slowly going past my head just looking at it going oh yeah that was close and then it wow. just yeah hit a wall behind us and blew up and then of course you know my mate getting shot in the arm next to me um one day we we landed in blackhawks in a in a riverbed and um as soon as we exited we were getting shot at by machine gun fire from both sides of a, a valley in this dry riverbed and so we ran out and took cover in like you know on a tea tree type shrub you know and uh, yeah my mate's gone ah oh, i think i've been shot and i went did he just say are you saying you've been shot and he goes yeah, it feels like i've been hit in the arm of a cricket bat and i've gone oh i'll have a look yeah, and it looked like it looked like someone had got a pencil and just stabbed him right through the arm it was nice and clean no blood coming out and i've gone yeah yeah you've been shot but it looks <laughs> but it looks clean so we're good and i was starting to get his med kit out of his stuff to bandage it up and he's going oh, i don't think we should hang around here <laughs> and i'm like yeah good call and so we scurried away <laughs> <laughs> but you know, yeah, there's, there's a few I don't know close calls with a lot of things, really, isn't there? But yeah, there's they're some of the ones just off the top of my head. Has it been hard for you to talk about it and come out and actually the Brereton report and say, hey, this is your side of the story and what you've seen? Mm, yeah, I'm not sure about that. I, I've never had any dramas talking about things I did over there or what I've experienced. You know, been lucky and. Um, but yeah, with this inquiry, I'm yeah, I'm not sure. It's it's going to be it's going to be an awkward one, you know. Things have been things in the unit's been tainted a lot of you know just and and it, yeah, it's emotional. I'm angry as you know the actions of a few have destroyed the work of the good work of many, you know, and it's that's it's upsetting, you know. So I hmm. What could be the future of the SAS because of what's happened and because of this Brereton inquiry as far as you can see? Well, if I wanted to be really positive, um, it could be a really good move for special forces. They want to, they see that the uh, commandos and SAS have this big, you know, rivalry and all these other issues. Well, if they, whether that's true or not, and I don't believe it is, you know, they get, you get idiots in every organization, but you know, <laughs> that's, you, you're going to get that. And so, you know, I think they could reform as one particular unit. And I know, I know that the uh, Americans have done similar things in the past. They don't have it at the moment, but you know, and you could, it, it would be able to we would have we would have a better unit than what we have now by having a, a, a capability that's you know um, it covers a lot more areas you know we're, we're going into some different areas here especially with cyber warfare and things like that and upcoming events with possible events with you know power plays in in in, in the world um, yeah there's there's a certain they could go in a positive direction but I don't I don't think the I don't think they'd be willing to be that bold and make those sort of changes but that that is that's an option 
Nice way to end it. Mm, it's been an absolute honour and a privilege to talk to you. Toby Wilson, thanks for joining us. Over the bonnet. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Good on you. This podcast is brought to you by Mary Mark Medical. Mary Mark Medical is your local medical practice in Gympie, specialising in quality family medical care. Are you always sick? Ranging from acute medical issues to management of long-term chronic conditions. When you need to get better, even if you have complex health problems, get the right diagnosis with Merrymark Medical. Contact Merrymark Medical in Gympie on 54811873 or find them at 18 Young Street. The podcast is also brought to you by Gympie Foam and Rubber, your local store that specialises in foam cup to size. They've got all sorts of good stuff like upholstery and craft foam, even loose spinning foam. The shop is packed with things like mattresses and pillows. Ah, not so squeezy. Now, they'll help you get down and dirty and save your feet with rubber flooring and mats, anti-fatigue matting, and they have industrial mats and rubber. If they don't have it, Andrew will get it in for you. Plus, for Over the Bonnet listeners, mention the show and ask for your discount and you'll receive 10% off the price. That's right, 10%. Only for Over the Bonnet listeners when you mention the show and you have to ask for your discount. That's at Gimpy Foam and Rubber. And finally, the show is brought to you by NICAD Earth Moving that specialises in roadworks, house pads, site cleanups, land clearing, dam construction, even dewatering and swamp drainage. I didn't even know you could do that. They have a 140H grader, which is big, and their Positrack Bobcat is also huge. There's a D65 dozer, three excavators for hire, including a 20-ton, 8-ton, and a 2.5-ton. Plus, they provide side truck hire and even have a roller and a water truck. So contact Carl Dakin at NICAD Earth Moving on 0488 22 and the earth will move for you.